This is from Acts, the first chapter, verses 6 and 7. The setting is this. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he spent the next 40 days instructing his disciples. And as he prepares to leave his disciples in the ascension, uh, this conversation takes place. When they were meeting together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a pretty good question. Because, first of all, it shows that the disciples have been paying attention. Uh, We're told in the book of Acts that after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then right before this verse, he told them, now wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so when you put kingdom and spirit together, you figure that God is doing something. Something is going to break soon. So it's a good question. But apparently there was something Jesus didn't like about the question, because his response to them was, it is not for you to know that stuff. It's not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I thought it would be helpful for us as we think the next three weeks kind of about who we are, where we're going the next hundred years, to look at this passage. And today I just want to start by asking, why do you think Jesus didn't like their question? Why didn't he give them the response that they were looking for? Well, a couple things uh, come to me uh, right off the top of my head. And the first is this. They said, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they were talking to Jesus about a political kingdom, a a national reality. When are you going to get rid of the Romans? When are you going to make it safe for us to do what we want to do? When are you going to give us? What we are looking for. When are you going to let us be in control? Now, it's reasonable for them to ask that question. You can read in the prophet Joel and in the prophet Jeremiah. There are references to to Israel being free from foreign domination. But Jesus doesn't seem to like this part of the question. John Stott, a commentator on the Bible, says this. What Jesus will begin to teach his disciples is that the kingdom will come not by soldiers, but by witnesses. And not by declarations of war, but by declarations of peace. Not by force, but by the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the disciples ask Jesus a very well-intentioned question, they basically are saying, Jesus, you're going to do the things we want in the way that we've always seen and heard it was done. I mean, that's how the Egyptians did it. They had enough force, they had enough might, they imposed their will on the Hebrew people. That's how the Assyrians did it. They came through with enough force, enough might, enough power. They subjugated the northern part of Israel. That's how the Babylonians did it. They came through about a hundred or so years later, and with might and force and technology, they subjugated even Jerusalem itself and carted people off to slavery in Babylon. And now the Romans, with their force, And their power, their might, had instituted the Pax Romana. But they had done it as a political entity, using their power and strength. And I think the disciples are saying, okay, Jesus, take a hint. Do that. Remove them. Put us into power. And Jesus 
in a sense, says, that's not quite what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is not first and foremost a political kingdom. My kingdom is first and foremost is not about who's in control outside of God, who has the most power, who has the most might. My kingdom is going to be about something else. And it's still tempting today, isn't it? To, uh, we've seen it on uh, people on the so-called religious right, so people on the, on the so-called religious left, always jockeying back and forth to see that their brand of Christianity is in control and in power. And the, we do it just like the Romans do it. We see if we can get enough force, if we can get enough ballot boxes, if we can get enough people to do things, then it goes our way. And I think Jesus wants us, I think, to be very careful about that. Look at Jesus in his own life and how he used power. Jesus never assumed power from popularity. Do you notice that? A couple times Jesus gets a crowd, walks away from them, goes somewhere else. Jesus' power comes from the Father. Jesus' power comes from intimacy with God the Father. I can only do what my Father does. I only say what he says. There's a connection of intimacy that gives power, not that we just got more of us than there are of them. And then notice what Jesus does with his power and his status. He doesn't use it to impose things on other people, even if it's for their own good. Jesus rather sort of abdicates his status, according to Paul in Philippians 2. He had all this and he gives it up. The other thing you'll notice about Jesus, which is very non-political, is this, that Jesus is never coercive, doesn't force people into things. Jesus' attitude seems to be whosoever will. I will show you life and invite you to receive it. I will not force it upon you. And part of the question of bringing the kingdom to Israel seems to me at least to say, Let's force it, Jesus. Let's make everybody do what you and I both know needs to be done. So that was part of a problem, I think, for Jesus and the question. I think the other part is this. Will you at this time? It seems to indicate that they believe that the kingdom can come instantaneously. If Jesus will just wave Jesus' magic hand, the Romans will leave, the sick will be cured. The lonely will have friends. The separated will be united. Just like that. And here's the answer Jesus gives to that question. He says, it's not for you to know times and dates. And he'll go on and we'll talk about it next week, he says. But you'll receive power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, the ends of the earth is a technical term for Turkey, for Asia Minor, which we'll talk more about in a couple of weeks. A, a very difficult place for the gospel to go. But let me translate for you. It's going to take a while because you've got to go here and here and here and here. The kingdom of God moving forward seems to move at a pace that's much slower than what the disciples would have liked. It moves in a different way. It was very enlightening. I know I've told some of you before. Two years ago, uh, I was in an airport um, getting ready to go to Israel, having a conversation with Ray Vanderland. He said, if you look at it biblically, he said, it took the people who were released from Egypt 40 years to get ready to move into the promised land. And then look, a few hundred years more before they ever got united under King David. Even the advancement of the kingdom of Israel 
that the disciples were looking for wasn't quick by any means. God seems to work more slowly than the disciples had in mind. It's not for you to know, said Jesus. But if he were to tell us, he would say, it's happening. But it doesn't happen at your pace. Peter must have figured that out. This is what Peter says, Jesus' disciples. He said, for God, a thousand years is like a day. And a day like a thousand years. And then he says, and God is not slow concerning God's promise, as some people count slowness. But he's waiting for people to repent. It's giving time for us to build momentum, get people on board, giving them time. Kingdom come instantly. I assume what Peter's saying is there are folks who'd be left out. It'd be like drawing a, a line and saying only people who are here so far. And God keeps waiting, I think, before that line is drawn. It moves much slower than the disciples wanted. But it moves. I really do think, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? It's a good question. Because Jesus was all about the kingdom. I mean, we were on the Lord's Prayer this spring. We were on the Sermon on the Mount all summer. You know that the kingdom of God is Jesus' main focus. You know that he came to preach and teach and inaugurate the kingdom of God. So that's a good question. But we have to define it differently. The kingdom of God will not be when we have gained sufficient power, when we have certain uh, geographical boundaries uh, that are places we can claim as our own. The kingdom of God is, I think, wherever God's activity and spirit are moving, wherever God's reign is getting established. You see, this is what was taught for more than a thousand years before Jesus. So he walked into this and seemed to assent to it. And what is taught is this. That the world after the garden, after the fall, is broken. It's broken up and it needs to be restored. There's illness. There's poverty. There's hurting relationships. uh, There's strife between nations. There's all sorts of signs of brokenness. And the Jews understood that their job was what they called tikkun alam, to to fix that which is broken, to, to fix the world, to work with God to restoring the kingdom. And Jesus, I think, is about that. When he comes, as Bishop N.T. Wright says, he comes as God's rescue operation. As God saying, okay, I'm shifting this into another gear now. And we are taking restoration to a whole nother level. So part of the answer, I think, to the question, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel, is, is Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, it's starting now. It, start, it may not come the way that you envision it. And it may not come as fast as you envision it, but it's going to come, and it's going to come through you. Because in the next verse, he'll say, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're praying the Lord's Prayer for God's kingdom to come. And part of what God is saying to you, I think, through Jesus is, it's coming, but you're playing a part in it. It comes as you work with me. Rabbi Akiva, lived some years after Jesus, said this. He said that the kingdom is when everything works together in harmony and beauty as God intended. Well, if you think about that, when you look around the world, where are things not working as God intended? Those are places of restoration. And what God calls us to is to work with God toward that restoration, which is less a giant rally or march 
or conquest than it is most of the time just inch by inch, life by life, working with people where they are. A couple weeks ago, I was on jury duty, and uh, you've probably had that had that pleasure. And at the break, we went over to uh, the coffee shop uh, store, and there was a guy on his register, and for his nine feet, whatever his territory was, nine, twelve feet, he was restoring the kingdom. Every person that went through there, he thanked for being there, and then he blessed them. And when he no longer had a line of people to wait on, he went out and started asking people sitting there taking a break what they needed. What could he do for them? And he cleaned up their methods. And you might say that's his job. Maybe. But I think he saw in day after day, person after person, what Jesus saw, which is a lot of need for restoration. And he, in his own way, began to work toward restoration, inch by inch, person by person. James Hunter in an essay says this, that it's a lot easier to vote for someone who believes in better conditions for children than to adopt a child in need. It is a lot easier to vote for someone who advocates that we take good care of our elderly than to go and take care of an aging parent. It is a lot easier to attend a mass rally denouncing racism than it is to meet and befriend someone of another race. And I think in that he's getting after some of what Jesus is saying. And I believe it's life by life. That's where the kingdom starts to come. Whenever, whenever you listen to a person that's hurting, the kingdom is being restored. Whenever you help a person in need, The kingdom is being restored. Whenever you pray for a person who's struggling, the kingdom is being restored. Whenever you share with someone what God has done in Jesus Christ for your life, speaking to their situation, the kingdom is being restored. Whenever you admit your mistake and confess and ask forgiveness of someone else, the kingdom's being restored. That's how it comes till that day, whenever that day is. That God finally puts everything in harmony and beauty as it's intended. So what does that say about our next hundred years? Well, I guess I don't know exactly, but this is what I do know. One of my favorite places in all the world is an ancient site called Priene. Priene is not even mentioned in the Bible. It's a town in Turkey. It's not far from Ephesus and Miletus, towns that are mentioned uh, in the scriptures. But here's what we know about Priene. We know that when the, the church, when the disciples, the apostles, um, uh, their descendants reached there, that Priene was about 98% pagan. There was a small Jewish house synagogue that was meeting, interestingly enough, two doors down from a house that was famous because Alexander the Great had spent the winter there three or four centuries uh, earlier. We don't know of any great uh, preaching effort that took place there. We don't know of any great program that took place there. We don't even know of any famous apostle walked through there, though it was John's territory, one would assume. But here's what we do know. A hundred years later, the town of Priene had gone from 98% pagan to 95% Christian. 
archaeologists, historians, scholars, believers, they all debate what happened. And the consensus, even from the scholars, is this. When people became Christian in Priene, they lived their life in such a way that it drew attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ and began little by little to draw converts until the people of God woke up a hundred years later and in that little town, for one, the kingdom of God had arrived all in a hundred years.